Welcome to IP Frequently. IP Frequently is brought to you by Dominion Harbor Enterprises and is sponsored by IPedia. IPedia, innovation clarity that provides real, actionable patent intelligence. Join our hosts, David Pridham and Brad Sheaf, advancing the issues of intellectual property. And welcome to another episode of IP Frequently. This is Brad, here with my friend and colleague. Hello. David. And with us today, we have special guest, Patrick Anderson. Patrick is, in his own right, an expert in IP and has been working with David and I for the better part of a decade. Introduce yourself, Patrick. Uh, Hello, this is Patrick. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. All right, then. So what's on your mind today, David? Well, I mean, there are a lot of things that we can uh, can talk about, Uh, a lot of things in the news. Um, I noticed that uh, President Trump today, one of your favorites, correct? Indeed. Yeah. Tweeted that he's working on a secret plan to reduce drug prices and create more competition across the board. What do you think about that? I think it's great. How do you think that'll uh, impact patenting in the pharmacists? And do we care? Well, I think we care about how it impacts pharmaceutical patents, but given that uh, the Supreme Court is doing its dead-level best to devalue all pharmaceutical patents to begin with, I don't know that what President Trump is doing is going to have a material impact on that. Unless he had, like, a shotgun and headed towards the Supreme Court building. I don't know that I would advocate that. I'm not saying we're advocating anything. I'm saying if you were going to, that's a way to impact it. You probably want to cut that part out of this thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, 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 a lot of what's going on is uh, is certainly um, certainly troubling. Uh, you know, one one thing we could talk about in the I mean, pharma to me, everyone you know looks at pharma patents. And you have these little lobbies pop up, and the pharma tech um, uh, group that uh, you know, wanted to come in and, and further reform patent rights, keeping the ability to kill tech patents and not pharma patents right. and all that. Mess. So to me, the the pharma folks, you know, it's extraordinary the way they manipulate the market. It's extraordinary the way they inflate prices. Obviously, R and D is you know costly, and you have to you have to pay for that. You have to reward that, but at the same time, there has to be some balance there. So I think um, I think you know at the end of the day, there needs to be some considerable. Restraint on drug prices, especially when the U.S. taxpayers are are, are, are pretty much funding a lot of this with the federal uh, the federal mandates and, and Obamacare, which should be on its way out. Well, not according to the Wall Street Journal today, my friend. Oh yeah, well, Obamacare light appears to be on the way in. Good for that. Thank God we have those Republicans on the Hill. Thank God. But getting back to patents, the practice of evergreening has, has been around for, uh, for, for decades um, where these pharma companies just come in and, and they take, and they, um, if they take the, uh, the, the, the patents and the innovations that they, that they, that they rightly earned and then, um, and then just claim you know, variations on those um, uh, extended release versions of, of the same drugs. They file these you know, they file these applications as new patents and essentially extend uh, extend their patent rights um, you know beyond you know beyond their initial 20 years and and even the you know sort of the efforts to to, to stop that or to fight that have uh, have have failed almost entirely. Why would the patent office just do something about that? 
They do something about everything else. Why wouldn't well, they just I mean, do I, it? I, th I think, look, the, the problem is, is that because Congress hasn't acted in that respect because of the pharma lobby, you do have Hatch-Waxman that Congress tried to create a system by which generics could get their drugs into the market. But the issue that Patrick raises needs to be addressed not in the courts. The courts don't know how to deal with it. I mean, the courts have, have royally screwed up patent law. And so what you need is for Congress to step in, actually do its job, do the research necessary, and then write into the law exactly what is allowed when it comes to pharmaceutical patents. We are already treating pharmaceutical patents differently than we do others. I've already got Hatch-Waxman, so it's not, it's not as though it would be unheard of to treat pharma patents differently from other patents, and so fine, if that's where we're gonna do it, let's do it. Yeah, I'm just counting the number of actual inventors in the IP Hall of Fame, and I've counted four and the large, I don't mean to get us off topic or anything, but it's just unbelievable. I think there are more vampires in the IP Hall of Fame than there are inventors. How many vampires? I'm, I've counted at least 20. Tesla, there's five inventors, and there's 26, 27 vampires. Huh. So, Is there any overlap? No. Well, Tesla's close, but I don't, yeah, I don't think so. But I, I, I just think it's hysterical the way everyone gets up in arms with you know, software patents and thinks that the courts have to do something without legislative mandate, the, the, the patent office has to do something you know, with a legislative mandate and, and selectively decide which patents are, um, are you know, slow-boated and which ones aren't and appoint these loaded uh, um, uh, PTAB panels to, to kill patents in certain Areas, but they can't do anything about the evergreening, and they and it literally takes, you know, guys filing um, IPRs for monetary gain when they short the stock to bring something like that to light. I mean that that that's what kills me. The hypocrisy of the system is is ridiculous, and the fact that there can be uh, folks who are seeking uh, legislation that would have one patentability standard for certain types of IP and another for other types and another for a third type is just absurd. Well, and, and, and speaking of, you know, of these, of these companies out there that are, you know, that are, that are looking for... Does that mean you have no comments on the, on the vampire thing? <laughs> I have no comments on, on okay, the vampire sorry. thing. Sure. But, um, oh, that, but uh, except in regards to Tesla, Tesla... You yourself are not a vampire. I, I myself am not a vampire. Well, well just for the people at home who are watching this at home, Listening to it, right? Because they wouldn't be watching it unless there's could, some could sort of a, oh, a tap on our on our on our room here. Some sort no, of so only, only Donald Trump is watching. He could be. There could be a video feed through the smart TV. I heard about that today. But mm. Brad is sitting here today with um, with garlic strung around his neck because of the fear that either Patrick may be a vampire or Tesla may be, or both, or both. Yeah. I mean, you never see Patrick and Tesla together. Correct. Either. Not once. I haven't seen them. I haven't seen Patrick in a Tesla. Hmm. Or that. Right. Anyway. And I've never seen Patrick walking around during daylight hours. I've never seen anyone with a string of garlic around their neck until today. It's amazing. It smells good, though, doesn't it? No. Huh? You know, remember Larry King and those garlic commercials? I do. So when I was in um, law school, back around the, uh, you know, the uh, turn of the century, mm. boy, that has a ring to it. I tried that garlic for like two days. And my girl... Why? I mean, come on, Larry King... <laughs> Circa 1999, what was he, 86? Yeah. He had that hot 60-year-old wife. 
Anyway, I, I, my girlfriend at the time told me I had to stop because it literally stinks. Yeah, well, it's garlic. They're pronouncing it a little yeah. differently, but no, it's and I fact, and yeah. I fell for yes. it right because yes. it said on the bottle, and I, I ordered it through one of those yeah. QVC things because you didn't have Amazon at the time back in the late nineties. Well, the jungle. Mm. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But not the company yeah. necessarily. Well, you had the company, but the company only sold books, so you had to go buy it on you know one of those COD things. So I did, and, and it uh, took significantly longer to get drugs from the Amazon. In, in the that's true. Well, I asked Teddy Roosevelt about that. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were talking about Tesla? Oh, he was a terrible vampire, if he was indeed a vampire. Have I told you guys about my children's book? <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're working on it. We're, we're, we got a, we've got a uh, Cracker Jack. So what's interesting, though, is I, I was one of the, the thoughts for this children's book um, is that it's going to be about innovators, right? And have cartoon you know, one page. Think of um, you know Brad Meltzer. You know I am Amelia Earhart. Which by the way, I saw the other day. One of the benefits of having kids is you you, you see some of these you know the new kids books like uh, Brown Bear, right? Or like right. I wear Spot, which right. I read every night religiously. And I actually was disappointed the other night when my daughter. Even when your children aren't home. Mm. I was disappointed the other night because right. my daughter was asleep. Um, and I'm getting out of the shower and I'm walking, you know, ready to read Brown Bear, right? After right. I quaff my hair. And uh, my wife said, no, 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 Berkey's asleep, so you, you don't need to read tonight. I was a little disappointed. Yeah. Uh, but I digress. So I was in the, um, the Barnes & Noble, the big, uh, the, big, the big bookstore. You read it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so this is the building mm. where, where people go and, and purchase Books to, Correct. To, to they, carry they still on. do that. Yeah. Some people that still do. Still exists. Kids okay. still do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had this book called I, I Am a Young Amelia Earhart, or I Was Amelia Earhart. It's this little cartoon book mm-hmm. written by some dude, the guy on the History Channel who has all those lost mysteries, Brad Meltzer. Yeah. And so. Oh, the conspiracy guy that's always like looking for, for uh, what do you call him? Freemason. Well, no, no. Yeah. He's always amazing. You can always, you, you can, and that's another thing. You can always. Um, every single thing that's happened in this country that's good, you can tie back to the Masons. But that's a different podcast. Correct. So uh, this Amelia Earhart book, I, I am Amelia Earhart, young Amelia Earhart or something. Um, the whole I, I literally picked it up because I'm very interested to see how it ends, right? Because we all know how the Amelia Earhart thing ended. Not well. Not well. well. Not well for her, certainly. Or her, pi- her navigator. Fred or aircraft. Something. The aircraft, no, it didn't, it didn't end well for any of them. And the best case scenario, right, is she crashes and gets tortured by the Japanese, right? If you look at the conspiracy, that's the best case. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, no mention of it. No mention of it. It just ends with her flying around. Willy-nilly? Willy-nilly. Hmm. Yeah. But that's I mean, probably a best way to go for a children's book, right? I mean, you don't want to scar And then if you look at the little timeline, they have a little timeline of her life at the end, and then... Little little font. Very hands just disappeared over the Pacific. Yeah. We disappeared just over the Pacific. Poof. Yeah, yeah, poof. Um, I mean, yeah. good lord. At least the Lindbergh book ended with him heading up the American Nazi Party. I mean, come on. Huh? There you yeah. Go. Good read. Anyway, I'm sorry. We're on evergreening. Evergreening. Yeah. So no, what I was saying, you you mentioned uh, you know you mentioned the companies that are. Uh, I mentioned a lot of things that are that are that are profiteering off of uh, off of shorting these pharmaceutical stocks and, and trying to uh, and trying to to, to, to to nix this evergreening, trying to um, you know get these get these patents invalidated. And you know I, I can't comment from a from a financial standpoint as whether they've been you know been successful economically, but from a, from a standpoint of you know measuring success by you know, how many patents they've gotten they've gotten invalidated or even getting the 
the PTAB instituted trial, I think it's been an unequivocal failure. Um, you know, they've they've gotten uh, only a only a small minority of these uh, of these IPRs actually even instituted. Are you saying you think place. Michelle Lee has her finger on the scale there? Is that what you're saying? Has her has her has her finger on the on the scale? The well, scale I don't I don't know I don't know if Michelle Lee's is in the building or or not because the last I heard on that is the PTO was refusing to respond to uh, to FOIA requests. Have you heard about that? Anything about Michelle Lee and the fact whether she's still director? The, the IP watchdog is reporting on that. Well, yes. Constantly, so I feel like I don't really need to look into it myself. I can always just go to the old, the old watchdog, my friend. Yeah. The watchdog. You know, next week for the podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to play some of Sir Edward Koch's induction speech into the IP Hall of Fame. Inventor of Coke. Coca-Cola. Correct. Yeah, and Sir various Edward. other things, including diet Coca-Cola. Diet Coca-Cola. Yeah. Coke-free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zero. What do you yeah. think about that whole thing? Though you haven't really commented on that whole thing, you know the the, the various groups out there filing uh, IPRs for uh, profit. Yeah, well, it's crazy, right? I mean, you to create a quote unquote alternative to litigation, and that is supposed to be less expensive and quicker to a, a result, an outcome than actual district court litigation, and then say, oh, by the way, anybody who wants to start one of these can, right? So the, the only people specifically prohibited from petitioning a patent for an IPR are the patent owner, his or herself, as though that would make a good idea. That's like prohibiting drivers from smashing their own car into a bridge apartment, okay? So that, I don't know that, that we really need to write that into the law. Or someone who has been sued under that patent or served with a complaint for patent infringement under that patent more than a year ago. So basically giving anyone who had been sued under a patent 365 days to decide whether or not they were gonna challenge the validity in an IPR, which seems like an extraordinarily long time to make that decision, but that's what it is. Everyone else on earth can challenge a patent in an IPR forum. And all you're doing is creating an opportunity for these for-profit schemes, right? I mean, at least in, in, in the district court, there has to be some justiciable issue for the court to address it, for them to let you into the courtroom and say, okay, this is an issue and, and, and you know, as the court, we'll address it. Congress, even though they know how to do that because they did it with covered business method reviews, they know how to say these are, you know, in order for you to have venue here, in order for you to find venue here, you have to have been uh, alleged to have infringed this patent. They didn't do that with IPRs, and, and you know, it, it should not come as a surprise that people take advantage of that. And you've got, as you mentioned, you've got people shorting stocks, and then you've got entire business models that are set up around what is effectively a protection racket. Right? Like the mafia. Like the mafia, where you, they, they simply take your patent, they put it in for an IPR, they have no skin in the game, they don't care one way or the other, the only thing it costs them is the 23000 bucks necessary to file a, a, uh, an IPR. Do you ever see Goodfellas? I did. Remember the scene in Goodfellas when the guy has the club with all the, like the tiki club, right? Mm -hmm. And Pauly always wanted to invest in the club, mm -hmm. right? But the guy would never let him. And finally, he lets them. And then the next thing you know, you have the Boombots brothers show up every week. And, you know, they're pushing over and over again. You know, if, if you don't do this for me, I'm going to burn your 
club down. And if you don't do that for me, and then give me a little more money off the top, and then we need to get another insurance policy and call on it. You know, and it's sort of like an extortion racket at that point, right? I believe it is. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. technically, it would fall under the definition of an extortion racket. Correct. Right? So what, what's the difference between that and the dude that goes to the Fortune 50 company you know, with five of their patents and says, pay me or I'm going to try to invalidate all your patents? I know the difference would be the threat of physical violence, right? Maybe. But let's take the threat of physical violence out of there for a second. Yes. Other than that, is there any difference? No, there's no difference. And, that's, and Congress created that. Uh, but I guess on purpose, because when it came to CBMR, they didn't do that. So it's not like it was an oversight. It's not like it's something they didn't think about. And so they, they either bought a bill of goods or were too ignorant to consider the ramifications of basically making every patent throughout its entire lifetime subject to IPR review again and again. Again, there's no limitation of laws to how many IPRs a patent can be petitioned under. There's no limitation as to who can do it. It's it basically every patent that the patent office issues is never never has a settled title. Right? It's always subject to challenge, and that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous on its face, and it's ridiculous because it creates these these profit motives for extortion rackets. But none of them seem to really work, right? When you look at those models, none of them really succeed. Well, it's because the people running them are stupid. But they, now, I'm not talking about the the ones with the physical violence, right? Because the mob has done well. Right, the mob is, you know. But the ones with the pat, I mean, they, they really don't work. No, no, they, they don't work. And I, I really don't think a business model like that can 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 succeed in the uh, in the long run. I'm 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 actually really skeptical on that. And and I'll, I'll confess to being part of an organization uh, early on prior to uh, prior to the the creation of IPRs. Uh, we we tried to create a, a business uh, a, a similar business uh, using uh, using the re-exam process. Um, you know. See, he is a vampire. So yeah. So yeah. so the 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 idea was, um, and uh, and we had actually we had actually taken to uh, uh, to creating an entire re-exam petition uh, to put uh, to put a patent into re-exam for which a large uh, you know large uh, litigation campaign had had just kicked off, and uh, and the thought process was um, was from the uh, from the business leaders to to go to. Uh, you know the attorneys that were running that campaign, and um, and share the uh, share the, uh, the draft uh, draft petition with shake them. Down. It was a shake down. And, and shake them down and say you know pay, pay us uh, you know pay us something to to not file this this reexam petition, and and on uh, on one of our first attempts we actually got a hold of of, uh, of an attorney that actually amazingly had some integrity, and he said. Uh, he said, "Look, you know, I don't, I don't like the way this would look if it ever got out that hey, I paid you, you know, not to file this petition. Uh, so, you know, you, you, if you're you're trying to run this business, you got to do what you got to do. If you, you said if you want to, you want to file it, you know, go ahead and go ahead and file it. But uh, you know, we're not going to pay anything." And he was he was actually you know very, very polite and and straightforward, but 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 direct about it that um, you know, he wasn't going to be a part of it. He wasn't going to be intimidated, and and, and he wasn't going to be uh, going to be shaken down. Um, but the reason, and um, and so so that that enterprise failed. We had another uh, petition that we did actually end up filing again uh, in a completely different case, um, and uh, and it was rejected by the PTO. And and really, in in sort of my post mortem analysis after we we sort of they didn't this, find a substantial question of patentability. They did not find a substantial question of patentability, and it was amusing actually. They had. Uh, 
so so the so the uh, the patent had to do with a a, a pocket sized apparatus, a pocket sized appliance. That was sort of the key limitation of it. Like a the like claims. a range or a refrigerator, like a widget. That kind of appliance. A widget. There's small, small, There's like a, a small refrigerator. Correct. Right. Small refrigerator. Like you know, a refrigerator right. that plays movies, you know, something like a, like, you know, like a refrigerator that Apple might Now be, that, you know, my friend, that's that, an invention. That right instead there. of keeping things cold, it plays movies. If I could go from watching the movie to the refrigerator without stopping watching can the I, movie, can I just say, can I just back. say something? It's, it's dialogue like this that um, is the sole reason why we have guest stars on IP frequently. Right. Just, I'm just, just to get, back just to get to this point. Yeah, Sitting no, back, right. I'm exactly. sorry, you were talking about a, a, a pocket no. appliance. Yeah, this, this, this pocket appliance. And, 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 and really, legitimately, there weren't any discernible standards in the claims or the specification that defined what si- at what size something was uh, pocket-sized or, or not. Depends on the pants and, and the pocket. The, and depends right. on the pants. It depends well, if you have pocket. cargo pants or if you have skinny jeans. What if you're a marsupial, my friend? I have, I have a pair. Look at that. I have a, pair. a kangaroo. Well, that's a pouch. That's not a pocket. That's oh, a pouch. That's hey, a pouch. That, I mean, that's, that's all pouch. construction. My, my wife bought me Who's these. Who's not a marsupial. Not at all. Yeah. Bought me these jeans for, over the holidays. Yeah. They're just disgustingly skinny. Mm. I can't even fit my wallet in there. But I have cargo shorts, and I could fit... A couple of baby bottles in one of the pockets. Mm-hmm. I can fit my wallet, my keys, my my chapstick, my lip, you know, chap lip ice, Dorothy Hamill chapstick, Dorothy Correct. Hamill, yeah, with you, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so so uh, you know, in, in, in rejecting our petition, the patent office actually had, had made some statements saying that the petitioners, uh, the petitioners seem to suggest that any appliance is pocket sized, provided that one has sufficiently large pockets. Which was kind of our, our point, 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 point I yeah. just made. Okay. That's correct. Cargo. Exactly. Well, and the, and the PTO took that position in, in, in rejecting our rejecting our petition. And and at the end of the day, my, my, my post-mortem analysis on that type of business strategy is that it's it's unlikely to succeed because... Um, Largely because yours was an abject failure. Well, it, it was an abject failure. Could have been the execution, though. <laughs> just, just, I'm just, I'm just, but let me just say this. The problem, I, I think the, the big problem with those... And you can you can often just boil something down to the whole Ronald Reagan thing, right? What would Reagan do? WWRD. Yeah. Is that a reduction if you do that? If you boil something down, reduce it. Yeah. yeah. If you boil it down, you reduce it. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Speaking of which, there's this um, sauce they make at K. Paul's in New Orleans. It's a reduction where mm-hmm. they cook, you know, five in a five gallon pot yeah. beef stock and bones down to like a syrupy reduction, and they put it on the steak. It's phenomenal. Ooh, that does sound good. But Reagan always said, we will not negotiate with terrorists. We will not pay for the return of hostages. We just won't do it. And my whole, uh, you know, of course, until the whole Iran-Contra thing where that kind of got all thrown out the window for a well, short period of time, short period of time, fake news. And then um, if you look at any of these business models, the minute you pay once. Oh, yeah, you're screwed. You know, you're, yeah. they're going to be knocking on your door again, whether it's the guys at that, um, you know, that, that, that outfit that filed the IPRs and get you to give them free you know, license Licenses. rights or whatever, or the guys who, you know, want to shake down for money, right. like Patrick Short over here. Um, Patrick the Vampire. Once you do it, but once you do it once, right? You Plus, can't, you can't, you can't. You're going to be a mark, right? Once the petition is filed, cat's out of the bag, right? I mean, the way that the IPRs work, if you file a petition, even if I settle with you, there's nothing from preventing. But if anyone, anyone knocks at your door and says, "If you don't pay me, I'm going to do this." Right. I'm going to do something. By definition, the minute you pay them, their brother's going to show right. up next week. Or they, how can you possibly write an agreement that prevents that IPR from ever? You can't getting out. You can't. You can't. Yeah. You can't. Right. So 
anyway, I mean, that, that's another podcast we can do down the road uh, about those business models and, and um, what we think of them. But maybe we should end up with like a new segment, like something new. Sure. Exciting. News good. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of this by my discussion earlier. I'll refer back to Sir Edmund Koch. Ah, the Edward. IP Hall of Fame. Edward. Ed, whatever. IP Hall of Fame, Edmund. class of 2013, which is ironic because he died in the 17th yeah. century. Right. But um, if you could go back in time, mm. right, and interact with any famous inventor, mm. and this is not limited to the uh, inventors that, that will be depicted in my children's book, which will be out for the holiday season for purchase on our website. Which holiday? Correct. Not Easter. In the holiday season. Oh, okay. The Feast of the Assumption. Ah. And um, so, so the question is, if you could go back and, and say sit down and have a meal of food. Break bread. With any famous inventor mm-hmm. who's invented something, mm-hmm. who would it be and why? And I'll start with Patrick, since he's our guest. All right. That seems fair. Well, I'm going to take the easy one, then. I'm going to take it right off the table, and I'm going to go with Lincoln. Out of Lincoln Locks. Sarah Bush. Lincoln. Abraham. Abraham Lincoln. No. So, okay. Well, Different. It's important yeah. to specify yeah. which Lincoln we're talking about. Yeah. The only, the he, only did he invent Lincoln Logs? He did is, that, not, is that his deal? He did not Those actually invent Lincoln Logs. Yeah. Let me tell you what. You can have good times for hours with Lincoln Logs. What did he invent? He's the only president to hold a patent. What was it is the question. Do you know? I don't, actually, off the top of my head. I, I do, actually, off the top right. of my head. I can the, the title of that patent is Manner of Buoying Vessels. Manner of Buoying Vessels. Nice. Well, he was a bargeman. Ah, the old Mississippi. Along the Illinois River. How about you, Colonel? Well, that's a tough one, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of good inventors out there. I think, you know, based on our history and sort of the trend that Patrick has set for not only American history, but American historical presidents, I would go with Jefferson. Jefferson was quite an inventor and a fascinating guy. So I think breaking bread with Thomas Jefferson would, uh, would be an interesting way to have a meal, for sure. Yeah. And you, Dave. He had no... No patents. No patents. But he was the the uh, first, what, commissioner of patents? Is he that was. his title at the time? Commissioner of patents? can't remember exactly what the title was. He was the Secretary of State. He ran the patent office. As the Secretary of State. State. There actually some patents. It, it probably would have been a conflict of interest for him to file his own patents. As, uh, no, as he was I mean, think they did the things a little bit differently back then. Tommy and the boys. TJ. TJ. Yeah, well, that's good. I, I'm going to say Bill Vec. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I mean, if you if you if you're looking at baseball, yeah, and if you're, you know, thinking looking about at a baseball, or if you're looking at the history you know? of baseball and yeah. the great innovators of the game, right? Isn't it Veek? Does Vack, Bill Vack, the great owner of the uh, the White oh. Sox, and then before that, the St. Louis Browns, um, came up with the concept of the the White Sox wearing shorts. In that it was warm. That was a, yeah, that was a that was a good call. Uh, remember the disco? I do the, the disco thing where they threw yeah. the disco yeah. big records out. They burned them. Also a good idea. Great idea. And then uh, the, the the midget, the small guy who batted that one time. That was Bill Vec. tight strike zone. And if if you don't go with Bill Vec, you go with someone like Paul Brown. You know, with the whole face mask mm-hmm. and and sort of innovated the entire way the NFL was conducting itself, including some some interesting passing schemes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where most critically the Browns. But now, if you really do want to go back in time though and have some fun with Inventor, you're probably right. You go back to Jefferson's time and drink some wine. Good times. 
Yeah, cor correct. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Well, All right. I think that's. I think I think we've we've come to the end of this uh, uh, podcast. So we want to thank our special guest Patrick for illuminating us on all things vampires, Vampire. Nosferatu, and how to shake down Fortune fifty companies, but not right. do well at it actually. Yeah. And uh, our continued ongoing discussion of the manifest injustice of the patent trial system, among others. Correct. I think we're going to say Manifest Destiny, and that's another that's, We'll have a whole podcast. podcast. We'll have that on our other... But not today, and not now. And we want to, you know, the other thing I noticed today is that without having our producer here, this goes a lot more smoothly. smoothly. Yeah, we're not, we're not being texted with ridiculous things. Although he did say to mention China. 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 Okay. Done. Patrick? China. Right. We've all done it. We've all mentioned China. Yeah, I mean, it's right. a lot easier to do a podcast without a halfwit showing you notes <laughs> written in crayon, isn't it? That's correct, my friend. All right, well, that's about it for IP Frequently Today. We've enjoyed being in your company. Hopefully you've enjoyed being in ours, and we will see you next time.